Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Friends, today our reading comes from the Revelation of John. Angels blowing trumpets, monsters rising from the deep, lakes of fire, rivers of blood. Ah, yes, the book of Revelation. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the New Testament, to be sure. Revelation is a book to excite the senses. The imagery is fantastic, buildings and furniture made of gemstones and a menagerie of creatures like something Dr. Zeus might have thought up after a sleepless night of reading a Stephen King novel. In a sense, though, to interpret this book is to misinterpret it. For often the appeal of Revelation is to the imagination. It is a book to be experienced, not so much explained. Written by someone called John on the island of Patmos, the dominant theory is that Revelation was composed during the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian between 81 and 96 CE. This was the view of the early church as well as expressed in multiple testimonies of early church fathers such as Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria and Origen. Revelation admittedly created problems for theological leaders in history. I know that's a shocker. It is the only book that the great reformer John Calvin did not write a commentary for. Martin Luther freely confessed about Revelation, quote, my spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. Still, Revelation more than any other New Testament book has generously contributed to the church's hymnody and its sacred liturgy. It is in the end, in my humble opinion, an extraordinary message of hope and promise It is a book that expands our horizons spatially and temporally. We travel from earth to heaven, from present to future, without exactly ever knowing what the experience means. Today we find the author witnessing the opening of seven sacred seals. Six have been opened at this point, and just before the opening of the seventh and final seal, the author witnesses an amazing, awe-inspiring gathering filled with hope, comfort, and messages of God's glory. A reading from the Revelation of John, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, from the NRSV. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders 
addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white? Where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. So this is our final Sunday, preaching through the Everybody In sermon series. And throughout, as you know, we've been singing this song together, Crowded Table. And uh, I thought, thought a great way to end the series would be to sing the whole song together. So I invite you to stand with me in the choir, and we're going to sing the, the whole song, Crowded Table, together. To let go, I can be a mountain when you're feeling valley low. I can be a street light showing you the way home. If you can hold my hand when you need to let go. All right, let's sing it out. I want a house with a crowded table. And a place by the fire for everyone. Let us take on the world while we still are able and bring us back together when the day is done. And if we want a garden, we're gonna have to sow the seed. Plant a little happiness, let the roots run deep. If it's love that we give, then it's love that we reap. If we want a garden, we're going to have to sow the seeds. I want a house. I want a house with a crowded table and a place. By the fire for everyone, let us stay on the world while we still are able and bring us back together when the day is done. The door is always open, your picture's on my wall. Sing it out. And I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. 
love how these songs just grow with us during this time. It's so neat how it fits so well together. When I was a little girl, I played outside like everyone else. I lived in South Florida, so we had a swimming pool or we rode our bikes. And my mom would send us out for the day and call us back in when it was getting dark. But oftentimes I could be found on the weekend watching old movies. I loved old movies. I love the musicals, of course, because I love singing. Singing in the Rain, anything with Fred Astaire, loved, loved it. Love all kinds of movies. I really love Hitchcock movies. I don't know about you, but I would watch almost anything if it was an old movie. So I really feel like I've been working hard on this binge watching skill all my life. Like I feel like when COVID came, I was like, I am prepared. I remember watching On the Waterfront. Eva Marie Saint was so beautiful and soft-spoken, and I thought that Marlon Brando had a weird accent. Maybe that was just me. But at the time, I didn't really fully get the idea of, of the movie and the whole concept of, of um, all that was going on. But I did understand that Marlon Brando's character, Terry, had messed up. And there's that scene in the back seat of the car with his brother where he talks about how he threw that boxing fight because his brother told him so. And he regretted it the rest of his life. All right, can you say it with me? I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Yes. Yes. When I saw that our final sermon of the series was The Contender, that's all I could think of. And I was like, do we have boxers that we need to include in our congregation? I, I didn't quite get it. But what is a contender? Some say it's a person who competes with others to win something. Others say it's a person who's qualified, who's earned the right to compete. A contender's got a real shot. Why? Because they've put in the work They've worked hard, they've had setbacks, maybe they've gotten injured, they've almost quit, but they've fought through it and are continuing to work toward their goal. That's a contender. Our fall series is Everyone's In. And in this church and in the God's kingdom, everyone is included, even the skeptic, the child or childlike, the pure of heart, the justice seeker, the ally, the recovering, and the contender. Some of us, some of this is supposed to be shocking or at least uncomfortable for us. Really, God, all of these people are included in the kingdom? Really, Rev Mark and leadership, all of these people are supposed to be a part of our church? Yes, really. The skeptic keeps us honest by asking hard questions, even when it's annoying. The child helps us remember wonder and awe. The pure of heart models rightful living, and that can be a little annoying too, right? To be honest. The justice seeker shows how to stand up for what is right and good. The ally walks alongside us and others in a supportive role. The recovering outwardly displays struggle that we're inwardly facing at some level. And that can be uncomfortable. And the contender, the contender walks around with battle scars 
having lived and worked and fought to live a life worthy of being called a follower of Christ. Who are these contenders at St. Andrew? Today is All Saints Day. Today we spoke the names of our loved ones who lived and loved and fought for what was right, and most of them were followers of Christ. Were they perfect? Gosh, no. Were they supposed to be? No. They lived their lives, they did their best, and they hoped it was good enough. Did they love us perfectly? No. Did God love them completely? Yes. Do we love them and miss them terribly? Oh, yes. As Methodists, we don't call each other saints, and we don't pray to specific saints like the Catholic Church does, but check out our church name, St. Andrew. Clearly, we apply this title to, uh, to some people, people who came before, who worked hard, who had setbacks, who got injured, who almost quit, who fought through it and continued to work toward their goal. That's a saint. That's a contender. The word saint isn't limited to the greats of history. Paul and other writers of the New Testament use the word synonymously with Christian and at times the word believer. But no matter how you define it, the word saint has broad implications and it is perhaps the best way for us to describe this week's New Testament passage of Revelation 7. Chapter 7 begins with a specific number of people who are in heaven, but like the rest of the book of Revelation, the number is a code for a complete number. All people, at least a lot more than 144,000, which is what's in there. The part that was read for us today mentions a multitude. It says there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all the tribes, the peoples, and languages. As Rev. Jerry mentioned, the, the book of Revelation is, is special. The writer of John was um, in exile on an island, and he writes that his writings are for seven churches. Again, a code, a number code. Seven meaning complete all the churches, all of us. He couldn't plainly write to these Christians who were being persecuted. I mean, literally being killed, not just not being able to pray in school. Now, granted, just a side note, you know that kids are praying in school if, as long as there are tests. I mean, it's happening. It's just not mandated by the school board. Okay, back to, back to our, our revelation. John is writing to Christians of the day, but we take heart because he was writing for us today as well. He says, in the end, God wins. That's the crux of Revelation. Life is so hard, and if you're persecuted, it's difficult. But we know that we all end up in heaven with God, surrounded by angels, praising God, because God has been victorious over death. Amen? Amen? This passage shows us a glimpse of who John says is already in heaven. The elder asks John, who are these people robed in white? Where did they come from? 
And John says to him, sure, sir, you know. The elder peers in, takes a closer look, and then a moment of recognition happens. Of course, he says. These are the ones who survived the great ordeal, whose robes have been soiled by hardship they endured in life, by hard work of living and faithfully in this world. I didn't recognize them at first because their soiled robes have been washed. They didn't look like they once did. Their robes have been washed by the one they have spent their entire lives serving. John gives us this vision of what it means to live and die as a person of faith. According to John, we leave this world wearing the evidence of our sacrifice and our perseverance the torn and tattered clothes of servanthood as we survived so many ordeals in life. But this vision suggests that at the end of our life, when we're standing in the throne room of God, our dirty robes that we've worn through this world are washed and made holy by Christ, who endured the great ordeals of his own life, his life and his death, and proved that self-offering and obedience to God for the sake of others is the only life worth living. Let me say that again. He proved that self-offering and obedience to God for the sake of others is the only life worth living. This, this is what was revealed to John in his vision in the seventh chapter of Revelation. This is what he passes on to believers who are struggling in the face of persecution. He reminds us that you cannot serve God in this world. You cannot be faithful to God in this world and expect to get out spot-free. There is a cost to discipleship, and the kingdom of God belongs to the contenders among us, those who in the face of life's ordeals don't sit back and wait for someone else to do the job. Dare to get involved. They dare to do what is required of them in the time of their lives. I'd like for you to take out your bulletin for a second. The cover is a part of a speech that uh, Roosevelt gave in 1910 in Paris. I'd love for you to read this with me. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. In John's vision, the redeemed are so numerous that they can't be counted. But who is among them? It's hard not to imagine a few recognizable faces. Stephen, who was stoned to death, or Peter, who was crucified. Oscar Romero, Dorothy Day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Rosa Parks. Soldiers who fought in Afghanistan. Firefighters who've lost their lives. Latin American and Haitian refugees who tried to get their families to safety and died in the process. We see a procession of the faithful lined up, some of whom have made the news or made history books, but most of whom we know nothing about, whose ordeals are private and far less noteworthy. 
In John's vision, they are all a part of the great multitude. On this All Saints Day, we Christians gather around the world to celebrate the lives of those saints who have gone on before us. We give thanks for those saints who still live today. And we, we ponder how all of us, you and me, are called to live lives of holiness. The path to holiness is, is made possible with God by following God in a community like this one, where we're loved and taught and stretched and tested and forgiven, and we keep dusting off our lives and continue on this path where we are daring greatly. Professor and Pastor Lawrence Hull Stuckey says this, Those we rightly revere are God's saints in the sense that God creates them by grace. Men and women do not, by sheer determination and self-discipline, become saints. Sanctity is a divine gift. It is indeed the power of the resurrection at work in human lives. Thus, commemorating the saints is nothing other than a way of affirming the transformative power of Christ is at work about all of us in human lives. We are saints because God's sanctity is at work in us, not because on our own we have come to some great spiritual attainment. Whew, thank goodness, right? In exploring the lives of historic saints, it's necessary to be thoroughly honest about their limitations and their faults. For only in this way do we come to believe that God can also work in the people around us and even in us, whose faults we know very well. Do we love the church being full of people who aren't like us, who don't think like us or love like us or pray like us or vote like us or we're creatures of habit and we like to hang out with people who are like us. Maybe common interests at the very least, right? I didn't look it up, but I imagine there are many studies about this. I have heard that the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is the most segregated hour in the week in America. And why? Because we want to be around what's familiar. We want to be around who is familiar. But in God's kingdom, it isn't like that. And we're working to make our community more like the kingdom, right? Everyone's in. In heaven, in God's kingdom, in heaven and on earth. And right here at St. Andrew. Amen.
thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.